Welcome to Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I'm Julie Fisher, your host and positive psychology practitioner, coach, and well-being advocate. Here, you will find meaningful and lively conversations with experts where we explore the challenges to maintaining a strong sense of well-being, along with providing tips, tools, and strategies to thrive and flourish in our ever-changing and complex world. If you're ready to create more harmony, cultivate deeper connections, foster a greater sense of well-being, and live the life you long for, then you're in the right place. Thanks so much for being here. Let's begin our journey together. Hello, my friend, Sally. How are you? I'm good, and I'm happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here. Welcome to Nine to Thrive, the Wellbeing Podcast, Episode One. I'm so honored. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're here with me wearing my grateful shirt in honor of our subject today, um, which is reframing our story through the lens of gratitude. One of probably my favorite subjects. And I can't wait to dive into this with you. Yay! I'm ready to go. So just for all of you listening, I know Sally. I have the pleasure of knowing her. And I'm going to give you a little info on Sally's brilliance. So our guest today, Sally Joy Wolf, is a well-being advisor, advocate, and keynote speaker who empowers and inspires others to flourish. Her work integrates her studies at Harvard and Stanford, her certifications in positive psychology, which I share with Sally, coaching, which I share with Sally, Mm -hmm. resilience, meditation, and a spark type advising, which I love that assessment, and her lived experience with metastatic breast cancer. A former camp counselor, Sally still passionately brings childlike wonder, creativity, and community into everything she does, most especially her adventures with her nephew and nieces, which she has amazing stories for. I'm going to add something to her bio that she didn't put in here. She's an amazing friend. Thank you. Sally is also a LinkedIn top voice who at the end of the podcast and in the show notes, we're going to tell you how to find Sally on LinkedIn. Um, She is an amazing person to follow. Her messages always inspire. Her cancer journey was recently profiled on GMA and CBS New York. Welcome, Sally. I love the little friend intro in my bio. It made me tear up a little. It's also interesting. So we're recording this, right? Audio for podcasts and also video. And so I can see you and see mm-hmm. myself. And it was really interesting to watch my own reactions. It's rare that I hear my bio read at, at length. And it's funny because all the things I think, especially when we're younger, that we think are going to be important, like where do we go to school or where do we work? Like, from like a, you know, the title kind of perspective, uh, I was kind of like indifferent listening to all that. And then the camp counseling, the anteing, the friend piece, and then finally how I use my voice. And I really do strive to use it to inspire. And so hearing all of that just kind of lit me up and made me feel good in this moment. I know we're about to talk about gratitude. So thank you for giving me that gift as we start. I love that. Yeah. You know what? It is so interesting when we think back on what was important to us in certain seasons and then life happens and the lens with which we see the world can completely change in a heartbeat. All right. I don't know if everybody who's listening to the podcast today knows about all of the extensive research around gratitude. You can, yeah. It's a safe assumption. There's kind of be I a think it's a safe assumption that not everybody knows about this, this superpower. And 
there is so much research on the benefits of gratitude. From a mental health perspective, people who regularly express gratitude are happier overall. They have lower rates of stress and depression. They tend to be more hopeful and optimistic. From a physical standpoint, people who practice gratitude tend to have fewer aches and pains. They sleep better. They have a decrease in cortisol, which is the stress hormone, improved cardiac functioning, social well-being. Gratitude helps people build strong relationships. You know, some studies have found that a single act of thoughtful gratitude can produce an immediate 10% increase in happiness and a 35% reduction in depressive symptoms. Other studies have found that people who regularly express gratitude appear to have a more positive outlook on life. I would say that's almost unarguable. Don't you wish they taught us that in school? Yes. Yes, I really do. I wish from the time we stepped foot into a classroom, this was what was talked about first before we opened a textbook. The world could be a different place. So we know that gratitude is good for us. And one of the reasons I wanted to do the first part an emotion on gratitude is, is that I've always had this thought that gratitude is simple and not always easy. And so what I mean by that is gratitude feels easy when things are good. Your life is clipping along. And you pause and take a moment, what's good in your life? You express gratitude to the your barista, to the person who takes your dry cleaning in, you know, the people who make our lives easier, richer, more full. And we can look at the sky and it's blue today, the sun shining in my window. And I can say, oh my gosh, I feel incredibly grateful for that. And there seems to be this shift when we talk about gratitude when things are challenging. So tell us, I want to talk about your journey. Sure. I was laughing when you're talking about a barista because I was actually just doing some writing before we hopped on here about a barista experience this morning that made me smile and made her smile, which which I can share in a little bit. I think there's magic in coffee shops. I think there is such magic. It is very much the place where more than any other place I walk in, they know my name. I mean, I get a Sally from like, you know, I'm all the way at the door and there were days during the pandemic where the only people who in person said my name aloud were at Starbucks. Like shout out to Marlin's team on 23rd Street between 5th and 6th in New York because they took really good care of me and they still do. And the quick story, just because this is a, a podcast about gratitude, this morning they all um, were in their reds for the holiday season. Yep. And Marlon, the store manager, he, I, I was looking at his name tag and it had this beautiful art. And so when I complimented it, he smiled and pointed to one of his baristas, Anna, and he said, she drew that. So I went over to her and I said, you're really talented. And she immediately was smiling. And she said she, she had done her own as well. Marlon said he, she did a, a couple others. And I said, knowing that Instagram, unlike my love for LinkedIn, knowing Instagram is a destination for artists, I said, do you have an Instagram account? And she lit up more because I was asking her about herself. And, and it became this beautiful human exchange that not only, and this is the point I want to emphasize, not only made Anna feel better, and no doubt her manager and team, I walked out of that store also with a smile. Yes. What a gift of connection. So a little bit of a derailment from my story, but it's, it's actually a great example and segue into my story because those are the moments that I seek out. And sometimes I get to create them. Like that experience was one that I asked a question and it led to a revelation about this artist on that team. So all of that is to say gratitude in our stories and how we find it in our stories. And I will get to your actual question about my story. This is how I do podcasts. It's like, welcome to my brain. But the reality is, is that gratitude is ours to choose alongside 
whatever else is going on is the way that I look at gratitude. And so the story that you're asking me to share is my now eight-year journey with breast cancer. And for the past five and a half of those eight years, it has been a stage four metastatic breast cancer, which by definition is incurable. I am also doing incredibly well, knock wood, knock my head on my medicines. And I will tell you that I have no crystal ball about the future, much like all of us. I have a diagnosis. Yeah. And then I also am living my day-to-day life. Many other people are living and believe they're healthy and just don't know what will happen. So for all of us, the future is uncertain. I'm just a little bit more cognizant of that, most likely in a day-to-day basis than the average. And so that all said, I can tell you that from the earliest moments of my first diagnosis, I leaned into gratitude And it was before I had formally studied positive psychology, which I know now you and I, that's what brought brought us together. That's, you know, what you and I are now both very well versed in. So we now know gratitude is a quote unquote superpower. And it is, and it is one of those, of all the positive emotions, it is something where when we kind of flex that muscle, because it's a muscle we build, we are more likely to be resilient. We are more likely to all the things you mentioned, the physical benefits, the mental health benefits, the emotional, all of it is true. I didn't necessarily have the formal insight into that that we now do, but I knew how blessed I was to be surrounded by so much love and support. Mm-hmm. From the first moment, I was never alone. Like doctors were bringing in more chairs for my consults because my whole family was coming. My parents and my brother slept at the hospital. We all had like, you know, sleepover. And then my sister who had a newborn, she came to all my chemos and and then layer in the friends and how they showed up. And so all of which is to say, I remember from the very beginning thinking, certainly I wouldn't wish cancer on anyone. But I also was saying in that same sentence that I hope everyone gets to feel this amount of love and this level of support, because that was an incredible gift. So that's like a very quick, easy from the first moment of of what I was dealing with example of that both end, because I can also tell you, I was scared. I I, I was anxious. I I was uncertain. I had no idea what we were doing. I didn't know what my surgery was going to be at very early on. I didn't know a lot. And alongside all of that, I was also grateful. Yes. I was surrounded by love. And so that really was the entrance for me into a deeper practice of gratitude in a more formal way, writing down things every day that I felt grateful for. But for the most part, I did go about living my life and showing up places, even if I wasn't 100%. And I would say that it was leaning into that, the gratitude muscle and the ability to feel genuinely grateful. And I I want us to talk about like what is genuine because it's so important that my gratitude isn't your gratitude. Yes. And my cancer patient gratitude isn't going to be identical to another cancer patient. So it has to be authentic to you. What I want to say is it's also not a bypass of the challenge. It's not bypassing the emotion that's hard. So what I hear you saying is, you know, in, in every moment we get to choose what we focus on. So here you've been given a diagnosis that I'm, I'm guessing felt really scary and in every moment. And then you had this incredible family and team of doctors and friends and this support network. And so in every moment you had a choice, what was I going to focus on? Was I going to focus on my fear? Was I going to focus on the unknown? Or was I going to focus on these incredible gifts that have shown up in this really hard season of my life? A hundred percent. Gratitude is never about ignoring the darker emotions. I actually think that the darker emotions 
help us to access a deeper gratitude than we may have other like otherwise never discovered because yes right yes. it's okay that, that dance the darker a moment yeah. we experience the the lighter that that we're able to right it, there there is this dance of light and dark i mean it's biblical like the yeah. earliest writings the earliest lessons so much music focuses on that so many hero journey stories and it's only accessible when we, I think, have felt a deeper fear because because the reality is, is there's that fear that you lose that that light too. Yes. And so I think, you know, it, it is a coexistence. I often will speak about the both end of cancer, the dark emotion and the light yep. emotion. It's also the uh, obstacle and then the opportunity alongside of it. And I think yes. that like, there's probably research, which I cannot cite, but that, that talks about, you know, a lot of the, it, that choice to lean into, I talk a lot about silver linings, but like the opportunity alongside the obstacle, the gratitude alongside the darker emotion, yep. it's all overlapping is what I was going to say yes. about research. Like, yes. like it's, it's, it's a consistent choice to, flex that muscle to, to kind of say, okay, here's this card that I've been dealt in life. And by the way, I hope most people listening to this don't have cancer, but yeah. the reality is, is we all get those cards. Like yeah. you don't get through this life without something that is tough or undesired or hard, or it sucks or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah. then nobody, moment, nobody gets a free pass. Yeah. Right? And so that moment happens and then that's the choice point. And it's the point at which you can say, and I'm not saying like in that moment, it's, right. oh, I'm so grateful for yes. this. But in that moment or on that hard day, there is almost always going to be something, whether it's a small thing or several small things or a big thing that happens to coexist that you can actually genuinely feel grateful for. I can take you to the, the moments like the day that I learned my cancer had metastasized. I can give you a list of amazing things that also were that same day that helped yes. me that like specifically happened because of my diagnosis, meaning like seeing family, seeing friends, whatever it was that actually, I don't look back on that day and think, Yes, it got, it was a day in which I got news I dreaded, like that I didn't yes. want it. Yeah. And also, I can look back on that day and show you pictures blowing up balloons with my nephew and nieces and having pizza yeah. with a friend. Like you go down the list and you're like, okay, like I was never alone. I was so surrounded right. by love. Yes. I there was, was a lot of goodness. You and I have also talked about this idea of, there are so many things in our life that we have no control over. So you didn't have control over you getting cancer. And so often our default is, oh, this is happening to me. This is happening to me. I think we go into sort of that victim mode. And it makes sense, Sal. We have this negativity bias and when threat happens, we go right to the negative. And what you and I've talked about is, is this idea that can we shift from looking at it from this lens of this is happening to me and ask, how is this for me? That's so closely tied to this gratitude muscle. How is this for me? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about, so one of my favorite of all the things we've learned in positive psychology, one of my favorite favorite things to talk about is post-traumatic growth. And it's partially a favorite because I very much think it is how I am living forward, growing forward with, with what I go through. I totally agree. I just want to say when I think about post-traumatic growth, which before positive psychology, I didn't know, I'd never heard the term post-traumatic growth. So I no. didn't even know that existed. And when I think of post-traumatic growth, you're my poster child. I had never heard of it either. And and I love to do public speaking and I'll regularly 
bring this subject up and you can ask a room, whether it's 10 people or a hundred people or a thousand people, how many of you have heard of PTSD? Every hand is going to go. Everyone. Yes. Right. Then you say, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic growth? And like the handful of hands at most, but the majority of people have never heard of it. And, and look, I studied psychology undergrad at Harvard. I never heard about that. And then I have two masters from Stanford. It's an MBA and a master's in education. Again, never heard the term. And so when I came to positive psychology, when I was in the midst of chemo for, for breast cancer, and I'm learning about these things, and I'm like, how is it possible that I have all these degrees? And it's not just post-traumatic growth. I hadn't learned about meaning and purpose. I hadn't learned about using your strengths and identifying what they are, growth mindset. And mm-hmm. there's this whole curriculum that you and I have now been so fortunate to be now well-versed in and, and both of us bringing it into the world. And I think that I want to speak for you, but I felt a calling to do that because you are going to go through hard things yeah. and also they are what are going to give you more strength and more connection, deeper connection to the world around you, deeper opportunity to serve the world around you than any of the easier things you live through. Yeah. And we are just not taught that. So in terms of the, the question, the what happens to you and what happens for you, it's important to distinguish, and, and we've said this a little, but just to to hammer the point home, what happened to and for you, it may be terrible. Like no one is disputing that. Like that, I just want to be absolutely clear about that. Yes. And alongside that horror or tragedy or trauma or tough, challenging thing can be a really big growth opportunity and post-traumatic growth says, it's, it's really like, I like to say we, it's the growth, the really big growth through what we go through because that's memorable, right? Yes. You go in and you grow. Right. But also if you were to think for any of our visual learners, make a bell curve of resilience, post-traumatic stress, PTSD is one end. That's the tough end. There's another end of that resilience bell curve and that's where post-traumatic growth exists. But actually, it's it's not even like a perfect bell curve because we really can all access it. We just have to learn how to do it. And the best way I know how to do it, the, the way that I guide others to, to consider accessing it is, is really about how do you choose to make meaning out of your story. And that's what, Julie, you were saying about the frame and the reframe where where we can talk a little bit more, but that's really what we do get to choose. Isn't isn't the tough experience, but how how do I go through it and how do I choose to tell the story of that experience and genuinely believe the story of that experience so that I can see it? and frame it as a source of growth versus something that has has really held me back. It's like when you when I think about oh this happened to me, there's a sense of powerlessness to that. I have no agency here whatsoever. And the shifting the lens, that's one tiny thing where we're taking our power back. 100%. Your story is yours yes, to tell. My and- story is mine. And I get to tell it how I want to tell it. And I get to own that, the lens with which I want to see it through. So I have been fascinated by Stephen Colbert for a long time. And I heard him talk about this before he was on the Anderson Cooper's podcast on grief. Amazing, amazing podcast. Amazing podcast. He and Anderson, for all of our listeners, you can find this on TikTok and and YouTube. And they're having this great conversation about grief. And both Anderson Cooper and, and Stephen Colbert lost their fathers at age 10. And Stephen Colbert says, and it's taken him a long time, so it's definitely been a journey, but he says, 
I've learned to love and am most grateful for the thing that I wish never happened. And of course, he was 10 years old and his father and two brothers were killed in a plane crash. What he basically says is, I wish it never happened. But again, it's one of those moments you had no control over. So I totally wish it never happened. And if I'm going to be grateful for this life of mine, I have to be grateful for all of it. If I'm given the privilege to exist, he says, I have to be grateful for all of it. And what he goes on to say is, this event has made me so much more compassionate so much more interested in the range of the human experience because he's experienced a huge range. I think it is that there's a part of when you choose the lens, you are taking back the power of your story to you. No one else is going to write that story for you. A hundred percent. I mean, you said so much there just to start, right? The frame and the lens that you choose it has to be authentic to you, but authenticity and, and what is authentic to each of us is hundred percent subjective. There's no right or wrong. Like the meaning that I take from cancer that Stephen, Stephen, we're on a first name basis, Stephen takes from his story that Anderson does all of it that you do with whatever it is that you're dancing with and, and the you and that not only being you, Julie, but yes. every person listening to this is, is really up to you, which is, I emphasize that because that's where so much of the beauty of this exists as a superpower, because it just has to resonate for you. There's no right way to do this. You are, yeah, we're all writing our own playbook. And and look for, in in Stephen Colbert's case, there was this horrible accident and he, he loses his dad and his brothers. And of course he wishes that didn't happen. Totally. And If that didn't happen, he might not be living the life. He most likely would not be living the exact life he's living now. So for him to be able to be grateful for this life, for whatever reason that had to happen, could he, if he could undo it, would he? Absolutely. And he probably, if if you asked him, he would say, yes, I would give up being the super successful talk show host in this and that if I could just have not lived that. But I did live that. So now here's how, and and what you were saying about, you know, it's made him more compassionate. Look, no one who sees Stephen Colbert, like grief is not visible. Just like right now, like you cannot look at me and see that I'm on multiple medicines for cancer. So it also, I'm guessing for him and for me, I know for sure, it's very good teacher. It being something that you carry with you. That's a piece of you, but that isn't visible to most people you meet. It's a very good teacher and reminder that we don't know most of what people are carrying because it's so invisible. And that entire podcast, not just the Stephen Colbert episode, but also like the entire eight. Anderson called me this summer. So he called me because if you, did you listen to all eight episodes? No. I probably okay. listened to five. All right. Well, so toward the end, he invites listeners to call in and share a story about grief. And so I did it. Mm-hmm. it he did the episode, the final episode of that series is of season one is really fueled by a lot of listener contributions. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't, he, it, mine was not included, but fast forward eight or nine months to July and my phone rang. And it was a number I didn't know. And I'm like the only human who still answers those. And, <laughs> and I hear Sally. I know who's calling. Because here's the, here's the lesson, everyone. Here's not to, not to give it away, but it might be Anderson Cooper. Usually I, I think it's going to be some random doctor. I just had surgery. I actually thought it was HSS. And uh, anyway, I hear, <laughs> is this, you know, Sally? I said, yes. It's a man's voice. Oh, hi, Sally. This is Anderson Cooper. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so- and I know his voice. So I was thinking like, hi. And at any rate, he told me he was calling me because he really appreciated, first of all, actually in the spirit of just being human, because he is someone I really admire and, and yes. all of us could take this. 
he apologized for taking so long to get back to me. And I was thinking, what do you mean? Like he said, I got your voicemail. Mm. He said, I'm sorry it took me so long to get back to you. I got 46 hours worth of voicemails. And they were capped, I want to say, at about three minutes max. So so wow. for what it's worth, he got, I did the math. It was like, you know, at least a thousand or yeah. so voicemails. And he listened to every single one. Mm-hmm. Raised to talk about just, this is a mm-hmm. very famous person who had a very poignant personal podcast and then was deeply touched and and personally listened. Said, I was really moved by what you said. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about gratitude. You wanted to thank yeah. me. And then, of course, I'll tell your listeners, hopefully this, this piece doesn't go viral because I'm still waiting. Anderson's, Anderson's now in my phone. But he's, I was thinking like, okay, what did I say? Because this is like nine months later. Yes. And he's been so moved by what I said, but I can't then say, hey, Anderson, could you remind me could what you, I said? Could you send me the recording? <laughs> so so I, I knew if I, I, right, clearly I'm a talker. I was like, well, just like chit chat. He's going to tell me what I said. So what I had said and what I profoundly believe in terms, and this really comes back to the framing of our stories and the reframing. Yeah. What I said, because the invitation was to leave a story about grief. And I, I, most people, the ones that he played mostly were about grief of a specific loss, right? Yep. Someone they loved who had passed away. Yep. But what I said was a little different. And what I said was, we need to allow ourselves to grieve the lives we thought we'd be living yes. in order to actually genuinely fully embrace the life that we are living. And so for me, I have this dance with an incurable cancer, not what I would have chosen. I did everything. We didn't talk in depth about it, but my mom had breast cancer when I was in high school. I did everything I was supposed to. So I got screened since I was 32. And with breast cancer in particular, you're led to believe if you're vigilant, you catch it early. Yes. If you catch it early, you're cured. Yep. So even with the first diagnosis, I very much believed, first of all, I was told it was fully curable. And second of all, I was led to believe, right? I had a double mastectomy. I was bald from chemo. I did all the things. Yes. And barely two years later, here I was with a local recurrence, meaning another tumor in my breast, which I wasn't even supposed to have breast tissue. But more importantly, it also had spread to my hip, which is by definition what made it metastatic and stage four and incurable. And so all of that is true. And I could easily look at my story and share it as one of, you know, frustration. Like I did all the right things and yet like this wasn't supposed to happen. I was sold a bill, right? All of it. Or I can look at the same story and say, how blessed am I to be so healthy in this moment and to be living the story that I didn't see when I learned my cancer had metastasized? Part of the reason I was so heartbroken is because I had been led to believe that you either were cured yeah. or you died. And here I am very much alive, mm-hmm. planning to live for another four decades. Yeah. And leaning into this third lane that is neither cured nor dead. Yes. And that is a privilege to be able to be not just living it for myself, but also sharing it and providing hope to others that maybe I couldn't find in the moments that I received what was a devastating diagnosis. And so I have to grieve. Like I would prefer to be cured. I want to be clear. If someone can cure me tomorrow, I'll take it. Yes. But in the absence of that, there is so much I can do with this. Yeah. So I can grieve the incurability, right? Like that's what I was saying to to Anderson, like indirectly in his voicemail. Yeah. I can grieve what isn't mine and also embrace, and this is what Stephen Colbert was saying too, embrace what is. I can grieve that I most likely will never be a mother. 
Yes. Which was a dream that I had forever. Yes. And also I can be completely honest and say, I don't think I could be the auntie that I am to Ryan, to Alex, to Andy in the way that I am with the sleepovers and the available, all of it. It Mm. couldn't be exactly as it is if I were also a mom. Yeah. Yeah. Who can say is one better or worse? They're just different. They're just different. Yeah. And that, that whole idea of mourning the loss of what you thought the picture was going to look like. And now it's not that. And so it's giving yourself space to mourn that loss. And it doesn't mean that you cannot embrace the current reality. It's when we get stuck in the story that we were so attached to that we think was meant for us that's when something happens to you because that's when you you're lacking it's it's really the growth mindset it's the ability to let your vision of of what you envisioned for you or maybe quite frankly someone else envisioned for you that you, that you then came to take as your right own. you adopted but when we let ourselves you know say okay this isn't what i planned True. This isn't what I would have chosen. Also true in this case. And yet, here are some amazing things that have happened because of this thing I wouldn't choose. Yes. Here's what happened. And can I hold, can I hold my sadness? Can I hold my grief? Can I hold my anger? Can I hold all of that, those things or a multitude of things all at once? And you get to choose which one you're going to lean into. You can hold all of it and then you get to choose what you're leaning into. Yes. And I would add to that, it's easier to hold you know, all of it when you practice it regularly yes. because it's really hard in that moment of the most horrible thing that you've experienced ever. Yes. If you've never flexed the gratitude muscle, if you've never sort of done a dance with, with coexisting emotions at once. It's really hard to just say, okay. Okay. So I'm guessing that maybe there are people listening who don't really have a gratitude practice. And for all those who are listening, we call it a practice for a reason. It's, it is a practice and it, it, it is like building a muscle and, um, where do you recommend people start? Usually I recommend people call it a gratitude journal, but I then sort of like asterisk that and say, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a fancy journal, like nothing, you know, leather bound, et cetera. It could be a scrap of paper or a notes app on a phone, or I literally have write down three good things on my calendar. So what I encourage people to do is, is choose a time of day or set a calendar reminder just because that is helpful but you can always change it. People will often say like, oh, what's better, morning or night? And my answer is always, whatever's better, whatever you. you're going to actually do is yeah. what's better. And I always emphasize that they don't have to be huge in the scheme of the world. They just have to make, I like to think of making my heart smile. So whether it is you know, a special dinner that you had with a family member or someone you love or a friend or or whoever, or the Starbucks story from today that made me smile. Yeah. I got takeout. I live in New York. So pretty much I get takeout every day, but I got takeout the other day and they had drawn my name with a heart and a flower on the lid of a soup. And it made me smile. I took a picture of it. And so really little things. Yes. So we really like, that's, that's how I look at the practice of how about you? Yes. I would say the same thing. I did a month-long program called 31 to Thrive in uh, October. I challenged myself in October to not repeat anything. Oh, wow. So that's where though you do get to the point where you're really looking for, and I know I've heard you talk about this, this whole idea of the benefits of things that seem mundane. Yeah that we really appreciate. Like normally I probably wouldn't say my calendar as a thing I was grateful for. And yet, what would I do without a calendar? 
I mean, my ADHD brain couldn't operate without a calendar. Yeah, and, and we so- forget. We, we take for granted too, because we are, you know, I can't speak for everyone listening to this, but both you and I are, are very blessed in so many ways. And um, yes, you just I'm walking around New York right now, and I'm guessing Chicago is no different. Like there are a lot of people who have a lot of really like Maslow hierarchy of needs, like our really most basic level. needs are not being and met. So we, we forget that there are so many things that, that we just stop noticing that, that really are, um, yes. Beautiful yes. I always want to check my privilege and acknowledge my privilege. And part of the gratitude practice for me, Sally, is that I don't want to fall into the trap of not noticing which is so easy. And I also, I also bring up that sort of like those baseline needs, because I think that for people who really struggle to start, like, cause we're talking right now at this level of, well, what kind of practice, like, what is that and how could yep. you start? Mm-hmm. So for someone, and I started teaching about gratitude and it was March, 2020. It was like, some people were alone all day, every day. And some people, and so I, encourage people to just like, did you have a comfortable bed or did you have a warm meal last night or get, you know, can you afford to go to Starbucks or whatever it is that, that may be so simple that people don't even think about it. But again, it can be helpful because once you start writing down three things a day, then like, it's not only that your list starts growing pretty quickly, it's like never going to be just three unless you choose to limit it. But also it impacts how we go through our day. You start to just like seek out gratitude in in your visual field when you go through the world. You notice interaction. Awe and wonder. And it like the, the yeah. lens with which you're looking, you're looking for beauty. Um, I think it allows for savoring, like pausing. I have found since I've had a pretty big gratitude practice for the last couple of years, it allows me to savor moments in ways that I never did before. I was a rusher through life. You know, I was always rushing from one thing to the next. And when I pause to really, really look at the goodness, it just allows for so many other things to unfold. A hundred percent. And then we predispose ourselves to lean into the gratitude in the moments that are objectively tougher to start to ask the question, what is in this for me faster? Meaning like the catalyst, some, some event happens and you know, maybe the first time you start leaning into that, what is in, what is for me? And then you start actually just leading with it. I will openly say, I am not as good anymore or not as consistent in writing down, like in that written gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. But I would say in part, it's because it, it like for me almost transitioned into, you know, I, I consider myself a deeply grateful person. Yes. And I think it, it really is something with which like, it's a deeper force with which I, I live my life. Yeah, and I, I see you, Sal, and I, I think you're someone who's integrated it into the fabric of who you are. Like, I, I think right. it's the fabric of your being, you know, oh, based you. on your lived experience, you have completely integrated it and it has, you know, I make up, opens you up to see the world in a completely different way. Like, it's so rare that I would say definitively, I'm not someone who who believes like we all quote unquote should do a lot of things. But I do think that, and and this is where the science backs, you know, both of us up, but we're saying the same thing. It's like that choice to lean into that lens is, is really life changing and helpful. The inevitable twists and turns that, that we encounter. Yeah. Yeah. The other word that comes to mind when you're talking is life affirming. I think there's like a piece of it that's really life affirming. So gratitude is just one of our many tips, tools, strategies, ingredients to thriving and flourishing in this world. 
Um, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of those. Um, I'm asking each guest, what are your three to thrive? What are the three go-tos that you do regularly to keep thriving? So my three to thrive, I would first say the ability to be around children, any loved ones and, and human connection. But for me, especially the time I spend with my nephew and nieces. So Ryan is about to turn 10. Alex just turned eight and Andy is a couple days shy of six. Mm -hmm. They're just magic, magical. And I lived with them for the first six months of the pandemic and, and, you know, before and after that, like auntie in residence is what I called yeah. myself. I remember talking to you a lot at your sister's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't trade that. I always felt a little, not quite guilty, but I was living my best life for those first yes. six months of the pandemic. And it was such a thrill and a joy. And so I really encourage spending time with children, especially, you know, children, not, not just random children you see on the playground. Although I will say walking by kids and just watching how they mm -hmm. embrace life can be life affirming. Totally. To would use, but especially when they're kids that you love, and especially when they're kids who love you back, there yeah. is nothing like that cuddle or smile or laugh and and play to thrive. So first and foremost, love children, that. auntieing, and for what it's worth, auntie is literally a part of my LinkedIn title now because okay. it, nothing As like it should be more. Number two, I've used the metaphor of dance the light and dark, dance between light and dark, actual physical dance is another way to thrive. We think of dance as a physical activity, which of course it is. Yes. And it's also great for our mental well-being, our emotional well-being, our social connection. So whether it is dancing with others on Zoom or in person, there is really nothing like that for yes. a activity and just really it's it's also been shown I'll add this a little bit of a tangent but to actually if you look at studies on dementia people mm. who are dancing for a long time are less likely to have dementia in old age and I actually think it's largely because dance is often unchoreographed you are constantly figuring out different ways to move your body so I I, I try to dance in my kitchen every day yeah so I, I, before my like self pep talk before an interview, before a keynote, before workshop, whatever it is, I do a little dance party with myself in four minutes. Um, so children dance. And the third thing goes back to what you said about awe. I would say that, you know, whether it's you go on a walk through whatever city or town you live in every day or wherever you are, just making a choice to notice really little things that make you smile. Because I believe that the little things are actually the big things. So for example, in Washington Square Park, not far from my apartment, as long as the water is running in the fountain and the sun is shining, I can literally make my own rainbow. Because I know that when I walk around the fountain and the sun is behind me and the water in front, it's going to be a beautiful rainbow. Mm. And I can do that for myself, by myself, as long as there's sun. I can also notice chalk art that is magical on the sidewalk. Yeah. And so really opening our eyes, opening your ears to the music that's playing in a restaurant, because you may hear your favorite song from childhood that you just otherwise didn't notice. And that's going to make yes. you smile because it's going to bring an emotion back. So children and dance and really going through life open to what is around you, mm. I think are three ways to thrive. Oh, I love those. Okay. So in the show notes, we're going to tell you how you can get in touch with Sally. We're going to include the link to the movie you were in where you do oh. dance. I do. It's a little is it's well, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, it's a little scandalous. It's and not scandalous. It's beautiful. But it is, no, it's it is very sensual. It's sensual and it is stunningly beautiful. We're going to include all of those 
things, all of the places Sally's been featured. We're going to include her link to LinkedIn because you want to follow her if you are on LinkedIn. I, Sally cannot, I'm feeling so much gratitude. I just feel so grateful for you in this moment and so honored that you are here to kick off this part of my journey. This has been like a a dream in the background for you know a long time now and yeah to be here in this moment with you feels beautiful and I feel blessed and extremely grateful. Well, and I, I, just having the privilege of being your first guest, I just want to say thank you, not only for this invitation, which in and of itself is so special to be able to kick this off alongside and with you, but also for your courage in getting started on something that has been a dream for you. I am sure people who are listening may have some version of that same dream. Like, do I start something? And so I just, because I'm the one that gets to be here with you in this moment, want to celebrate that. And I can tell you, because we know that positive emotion Mm -hmm. mirrors and ripples and rebounds and reflects. So I'm feeling especially grateful because I feel inspired now to get going on this vision I have as well to create a podcast. And I will think of your invitation. I'm not looking to make like this about me, but I am looking to share it because we never know how many people we inspire by stepping forward into something ourselves. And so I just wanted to tell you in this moment that you launch this for yourself, that I celebrate your courage in taking this into the world. Mm -hmm. And also thank you because you're giving a permission slip to countless others. Mm. Thank you. I'm going to receive that. That's beautiful. And I hope if this inspires one person to take that step forward, whatever that dream is, it doesn't have to be a crazy podcast. Yeah. It can be to find a new job, start a new business, open a yoga studio, you know, go to an exercise class, go to a dance class, you know, whatever that is. If I inspire one, I will feel, I will feel honored and grateful. Okay. To all of you folks listening, thank you thrivers together. Let's be brave, curious, grateful, and kind. And we will see you next time. We've come to the end, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Nine to Thrive, the well-being podcast. I really appreciate you listening. I invite you to follow and like this show on whatever platform you're using. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, share it on social media, or write a review. My goal is to provide useful information that will help you to thrive and flourish, and I always welcome your feedback. If you want to receive more strategies to increase your well-being in your inbox each month, head over to my website, juliefishercoaching.com and sign up for my newsletter. Until next time, take care, Thrivers.